The Bradford Exchange presents The Classic Radio Theater with your host, Carl Amari. Countdown for blastoff. X minus one. Yes, it's Maxwell House Coffee Time, starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. Richard Diamond, private detective. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Suspense. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Dragnet. We offer you escape. Kraft presents the Great Gildersleeve. Yeah. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. The Jack Benny Program. Welcome, everyone, to episode 63 of the Classic Radio Theater. Each week, the Bradford Exchange and participating sponsors bring you three hours of the Classic Radio Theater, featuring programming from the golden age of radio. This time, we'll hear two detective episodes of Pat Novak for Hire, starring Jack Webb. We'll begin after this break. Beginning in 1946, Jack Webb portrayed Pat Novak, a tough, wisecracking, and cynical amateur detective, firmly in the tradition of Philip Marlowe. Just about every one of Novak's clients attempted to double-cross him or frame him for murder. Whether he was hired to act as a bodyguard or ride shotgun on a cross-country trip, the ever-suspicious Novak knew things would get complicated. A crime would take place and Novak would be in the frame. Somehow, he always managed to come out on top and clear his name. The episodes were fast-moving with plenty of action. The dialogue was hard-boiled, the soliloquies poetic, and cynical Novak had a never-ending stock of one-liners. For clarification, Pat Novak wasn't really a detective. He owned a waterfront boat shop on Pier 19 in San Francisco. He rented out boats and, on occasion, accepted odd jobs when offered enough money. Police Inspector Hellman, played by Raymond Burr, was constantly trying to lock Novak up and throw away the key. Near the end of the run, Ben Morris replaced Jack Webb, who went to Los Angeles to work on other detective dramas, including Johnny Madero, Pier 23, and Dragnet. Morris did not have the same ability as his predecessor to deliver rapid-fire dialogue, and by 1949, the program Suffering from Stiff Competition was canceled. Time now for the first of two detective episodes of Pat Novak for Hire, starring Jack Webb. In this first story, a priest puts Novak on the trail of an escaped convict that leads to murder. Here's Father Leahy on Pat Novak for Hire from April 2nd, 1949. Pat Novak, for hire. Sure, I'm Pat Novak, for hire. That's what the sign out in front of my office says. Pat Novak for hire. It's about the only way to say it. Oh, you can dress it up and tell how many shopping days there are till Christmas. But if you got yourself in the market, you can't waste time talking. You gotta be as brief as a pauper's will. Because down on the waterfront in San Francisco, everybody wants a piece of the cake. And the only easy buck is the one you just spent. Oh, it's a good life. If you work real hard and study a little on the side, you got to trade by the time you get to prison. I rent boats and do a few other odd jobs you can't afford to pick it on. It works out all right if you put your tongue in hock. Because down here, you shouldn't talk. It's like installing a set of drums in a belfry. You make some noise, but it's never the right kind. I found that out a few days ago. Must have been Tuesday or Wednesday night, anyway. I was sitting in the office reading Time magazine when the door opened. 
I looked up and had to keep right on going because the guy was so tall he'd have to bend over to see through a transom. And he had a voice deep enough to rent out as a bassoon. Good evening, Mr. Novak. I'll take your word for it. You have a small office. I'm small time. What's on your mind? My name is Leahy. I want to hire you. Yeah. Sit down. Are you cold? Yeah. That overcoat around your neck, you're either cold or a priest. Oh. I'm a priest, Mr. Novak. I'm sorry, Father. You got a slow brogue. What do you need? A few hours of your time. I want you to help a man escape from prison. Uh-huh. Father, you'll never get along with a bishop. Mr. Novak, in a curious way, this is an errand of mercy. Well, this isn't my year for mercy. I'm sorry, Father. Maybe you don't like to hear it that way, but if I got the right fee, it wouldn't be mercy anymore. When I say it's an errand of mercy, that's what it is. Sometime tonight, a man is going to break out of Alcatraz. If he's allowed to get into town, he may kill somebody. You want me to stop him? That's right. And if he doesn't kill anybody, he can still be shot down by the police. Well, that's the percentage, Father. If he comes off that rock, he knows that. Stop worrying about him. If you could bring him to me, I know I can talk him into going back. Tell headquarters they'll do the same thing. If I did that, I'd break a promise. This is the only thing I can do. Will you help me? Yeah, I suppose. How do I pick him up? Treadwater in the bay till he comes by? He's due in at Pier 19 sometime tonight. When he comes ashore, bring him to me. I'll be waiting at the ferry building. Well, suppose he doesn't want to come. Suppose he wants to party. How am I going to get him there? I don't ask you how to say the beads. If you're any good, you'll get him there. But you don't want him in sections. I want him all at once, Mr. Novak. I wouldn't ask you this if it weren't important. But i got to help him. He's one of my boys. Yeah, sure. What's his name? Joe Feldman. Feldman? Yeah. If I don't worry about the spelling, you don't have to either. He's one of my boys. Slow down. Nobody's pushing your father. I don't know when he's due, but I'll be at the ferry building from 8 o'clock on. Yeah. I only got one worry. Uh-huh. Is there really a guy named Father Leahy? I suppose you'll have to take a chance on that. Yeah, well, it's a big chance. You come in here with a story anybody can see through like a screen door and I'm supposed to buy it. You could dig up a collar. What happens if you're a fake? Just try to guess right. Suppose I don't. Then you're in the same spot Pontius Pilate was. Good night, Mr. Novak. Whoever Joe Feldman was, he had a good friend. Because when Father Leahy walked out of there, I knew he was all right. You could tell without even testing him. The way when you pick up a pool cue, you know right away whether it's any good or not. He stood at the door for a minute, and then he walked out. And you got a funny feeling that he didn't walk into the night that he was big enough to wrap it around his shoulders and take it with him. I got a last look at him as he turned the corner under a street lamp. He looked even taller now, and you knew if somebody stood him in an oil field, you couldn't tell him from the rest of the derricks. Well, I made a couple of phone calls, and then I closed shop and went down to the end of Pier 19 to wait. The bay looked as dark as a bruised crow, and the fog was beginning to drift in over near the piers. By 9 o'clock, you couldn't see a thing. You felt like a guy trying to shave in a bathroom full of steam. I was about... 30 feet from the end of the pier when a small boat pulled in and let somebody out. I was sure it was my boy, so I moved behind a shed and waited. The boat pulled away and the guy started down the dock. I waited until he moved past me. Oh, oh I'm sorry. You ought to be glad. How's the rock? Huh? You lonely, mister? What do you care? If you are, buy a beer and talk to the bartender. I'm busy. All right, you're tough, Feldman. Let's go now. You got dates for us? You're going to see Father Leahy. Come on. Are you doubling for Gabriel? Leave me alone, mister. I don't want to go. Now, look, Junior, if we draw straws, you're going to get the short one. Oh. Is that supposed to be a gun in your pocket? Well, you get a chance to find out. That's what I'm going to do, because I have one, too. If it starts to hurt your stomach, back down. <laughs> no worries yours, Mr. Timmet. It's a bad night for bluffing, so goodbye. Yeah, come here. Go easy, fella. It's a big one. Well, you can let go easy, then. Come on, drop it. Drop it in the water. Let go. Now, you want to start again? No. All right, I'll see you, man, Leahy. I gotta make a stop first. Make it after. It'll take five minutes. Look, mister, if you want to do it the easy way, let me make the stop. You go with me. All right, five minutes, and then you see Father Leahy. Suit yourself. I doubt if I'll make heaven, but if you want to run interference, it's all right with me. If you need the credits, you need the credits. Joe Feldman wasn't very friendly. He sat over in the corner of the cab and he didn't say a thing. He just kept looking at me and waiting, like a guy feeding arsenic to a rich aunt. 
A few minutes later, the cab pulled up in front of a hotel on Geary Street, and we walked in. One look at that lobby, and you got the idea. The place was about as cozy as an abandoned mine shaft. Over by the wall, there was an old mohair couch, and the legs on it were so warped, pretty soon it was going to look like period furniture. There were a few chairs, and over by the stairs, a faded calendar of a girl in tights holding a jar of mayonnaise and winking, whatever that meant. And there was a broken clock over the desk. But you knew it was all right, because nobody there cared about keeping track of time. It was something you got rid of in a hurry, like a bent quarter. Well, we went up to the second floor. We walked down a long hall that smelled like an anteroom to a sewer. When Feldman knocked on the door, she opened it right away. The room was full of taboo. She stood leaning there for a minute, a sort of a girl who moves when she stands still. She had blonde hair. She was kind of pretty, except she could see somebody had used her badly, like a dictionary in a stupid family. Feldman seemed to know her. Hello, Ann. Well, the harvest hands arrive all at once. Yeah. It's good for the crops, but tough on a woman. Come in. Who's your friend? A missionary, I guess. He grabbed me down by the docks. Does he talk or just stand there looking healthy? He growls a little. Do you really growl? Come on, hurry up, lady. Your friend's got a date. I'll bet you bite instead. <laughs> Don't worry about him. He can go over in a corner and play fifth wheel. Now, look, he's got five minutes. Use him quick. Yes? I, uh... Came up with a message, Ann. The time's been changed. Stay around till 10 o'clock. All right. Is that all? Yeah, that's all. You want the other four minutes? Let's go. All right. Open the door. Yeah. You didn't open it fast enough. <laughs> Feldman hit me, I wobbled for a minute and went down like the price of winter wheat. If Father Leahy had any loose prayers lying around, now was the time to crate them up and ship them over, because I wasn't going to stay awake long enough to test the varnish. I rolled on the floor a couple of times, and then I took a rain check on the next couple of hours. When I woke up, it was like buying a new Nash and then finding out you can't drive. Joe Feldman was lying next to me with his throat cut like a pound of rib roast. His head was over to one side and his body was twisted over the other way as if he couldn't make up his mind which direction to die in. I got up and rolled him on his back. He was grinning like a Pullman porter at the end of the line and his mouth was half open as if he expected you to drop in a suggestion on your way by. I noticed right then how thin and small he was, about as fat as a shadow and tall enough to scrape his head on a lampshade. Well, there wasn't anything I could do but wish him luck. So I called the check stand at the ferry building and... Had them page Father Leahy. About two minutes later, he answered. Hello, Father Leahy? This is Novak, Father. Yes? Call in the outfield. Your boy's dead. I see. What happened? Somebody didn't like him lots. I wasn't around for the main event. Where are you, on the pier? No, I'm in some cave up on Geary Street. He wanted to come by here first. Father, who's Ann? I don't know. Has Feldman got a girlfriend? He's got two sisters, I think. One of them's named Ann. A tall blonde with lots of speed. That's your definition, but it'll probably do. Now, she was around for a while, in case you ever want to check. What are you going to do? Get on the back stairs and pretend I never heard of Joe Feldman. I'm sorry, Mr. Novak. I'm sorry it worked out that way. So am I, Father. If you liked him, I'm sorry. He may have been a nice little guy. Huh? Oh, I could do without him, but if you like it, I'll say he was a good little guy. How little? I don't know. We could start a picket fence with him. Why? Because you've got the wrong man, Mr. Novak. Huh? If he's under six feet, you've got the wrong man. Whoever you've got up there isn't Joe Feldman. Well, he's happy about it now, Father. Whoever he is, I'm sorry. It's the percentage. Why the percentage? If it isn't Joe Feldman, why? That's the waterfront, Father. If your name's Joe Nobody, you still can't do better than eight to five. At least Joe Feldman was smart. If you're going to get your throat cut, it's a good time to send in a substitute. As soon as Father Leahy hung up, I knew hanging around that hotel was going to be a waste of time, like sending mash notes to a bearded lady. If I couldn't prove the guy was alive, they were going to charge extra down at the desk. And if Hellman down at Homicide ever found out I brought the guy up here, I'd have about as much chance as a bottle of scotch at a cocktail party. So I picked up my hat and started for the door. 
I looked at him once more, but he wasn't going to say goodbye, so I started out. Boo. Oh. Hello, Hellman. Expecting me, Novak? No, I'd have rolled him first. Yeah. Invite me in. Crash the party, Hellman. You'll be more at home. All right. He sure looks lazy. Who is he? He's supposed to be Joe Feldman. But Feldman let him do the hard work. They must be good friends. You better check. I don't know the guy. Yeah, help me roll him over. Okay. There. Here, here's his wallet. You let me have it. You're going to break your fingernails. Give it here. All right. Yeah. No money in here. You're going to drop the case? Here's his card, Mike Greeley. Oh. Didn't he like you either? You're wearing out the rug, Hellman. I don't know the guy. You brought him up? I checked at the desk. Well, check on who left then. I brought him up here on a phony lead. Why? Because I was hired to tow him around. He liked the room, so we dropped by. And he cut himself shaven? I wasn't around. There was a girl here for the handshakes. Oh. What kind of girl? I don't know, Hellman. How many kinds are there? Her name was Ann. She had a fast pulse. That's all I know. You must know more than that. If you don't, you'll never get a lawyer. I won't need one. You'll save money at least, because you got a real hole this time, Novak. We get a phone tip and find you in the murder room. You got half a story, Hellman. I know, but I'll get the other half. Until then, you're under technical arrest. It's practically the real thing. Now, you got a technical head, Hellman. I wouldn't tip myself off. Somebody else would. Walk around, Novak, and tire yourself out. Because you'll wind up sitting down. In the meantime, I'll have you tailed. Your men couldn't follow a moose through a revolving door. Now, look, Hellman, I'm going to double back. This guy's a phony lead. I was supposed to meet a guy named Joe Feldman, but he never showed up. He didn't? No. I got a dead copper to prove he did. Your boy, Joe Feldman, killed a sergeant named Grubb at the Gold Rush Club Club a half hour ago. You better start that walk, Novak. two kind of raps you can't ever beat. Cheating a woman with kids and killing a copper. So I knew Joe Feldman could put in for reservations right away. And I knew Hellman would stay with him like a February cold. He'd stay with the whole thing and I'd have a real tough time explaining. <laughs> I couldn't explain it to myself. What about the message up in that room? Why did the little guy tell Ann to stay until 10 o'clock? Why did he get off at Pier 19 instead of Joe Feldman? Once he got there, what was Feldman doing at the Gold Rush Club, and why did they spot him so fast? Well, it pointed to one thing, a police tip-off, but that's as far as I could go. On the way down, I stopped at the desk, and I asked the clerk to see the register. He pushed it over toward me. It was a dirty brown thing that looked like an old tortilla somebody had left behind. It didn't do any good. The registration was a phony. Well, I had to do something in a hurry, so I looked up the only honest guy I know, an ex-doctor and a boozer by the name of Jocko Madigan. He's a good man, and he used to be a smart one, too. And still he started chasing a jigger of beer with a glass of whiskey. I finally found him in the Pied Piper room, arguing with somebody about the words to Annie Laurie. Ah, Patsy, a drink for Mr. Novak. Something cheap but impressive. Oh, stop it, will you, Jocko? Are you going to be drunk all your life? Yes, it's only a matter of willpower, Patsy. I'm probably the only man in the world who intends to carry a hangover into eternity. Well, stop long enough to give me a hand, will you? I'm in trouble. Of course you're in trouble. You'll always be in trouble because you can't recognize it, Patsy. You're fuzzy, Jocko. You have the social outlook of a bull with a hot foot, and there's no hope for you because if from time to time a moral feeling does sweep over you, you mistake it for influenza and go to bed. All right, all right. Oh, you try hard enough. You go through the motions, Patsy, but you never get anywhere. You go stumbling through life doing a tight wire act on a rubber band. You're always in the middle. Will you listen to me? It's because there's no variety in your life. You won't allow it. You're a broken-down banjo, not a very good instrument to begin with. And to make matters worse, you allow everybody to come along and pluck the same string. All right. Are you all through now, Jocko? Yes. You sound angry. I think you have a bad disposition, too. What kind of trouble? Well... I tried to help some guy out of prison tonight. You got drunk and thought you were the parole board? No, I did it for a good guy, a priest named Leahy. Yes? The guy was already out, and Father Leahy was trying to hurt him back without getting shot, but this guy Feldman didn't want to play. Another drink will clear this up for me? I picked up the wrong guy. I took him to a Geary Street hotel. I napped a while, and they cut him up like a piece of parsley. Sounds like a gruesome hotel. The dead guy's name is Mike Greeley. I don't even know who he is. Well, this is no time to start building a friendship anyway. Uh, who is in the room? Some girl. She may be Feldman's sister. Would she kill a man? Well, if she did, he'd be crushed to death. 
No, I'm sure somebody else came in that room. You better talk to Feldman. Well, he's a hard man to reach. A sergeant almost made it tonight. Feldman shot his way out of the Gold Rush Club. Uh, that's one way to get out of a nightclub. Well, Hellman steamed up, so you gotta help me, Jocko. You'd better look up Father Leahy. You'll probably be electrocuted, and if you are, he may have some drag. I want you to go down to the Chronicle Morgue and pull the clips on Joe Feldman, will you? Get everything you can, and then hit the horse parlors. Find out what they know about him, huh? Maybe he's a heavy drinker. I'll check the bar. Jocko, wake up and get on there. If I don't pace Hellman on this thing, I'll be a dead pigeon. What am I supposed to do? I don't know. You might start cooing. Good night, lover. Well, as soon as I left Jocko, I went down to the Gold Rush Club on O'Farrell Street. It was a little nightclub where they charge 80 cents for a drink of whiskey that'd kill a redwood. The floor show was just as bad, and the headliner was an oriental dancer whose only talent was a zipper. I sat at the bar, and I tried to pry some talk loose, but they liked the boss. I finally got a hold of a fat waitress who should have been wearing a harness instead of slacks. She told me a little. The owner was a guy named Charlie Giffen, and he used to make book with Joe Feldman. She told me that Joe's sister worked at the Gold Rush Club for a while, but she got sick a few months ago and quit. I asked the girl if tonight's shooting was a police plant. She didn't know, but she said that Feldman had been in to see Giffen tonight, and on his way out, he ran into trouble. I gave her five bucks, and she looked hurt as if somebody had given her a plow for Christmas. She showed me where Giffen's office was, and I walked back there. Giffen wasn't there, but the taboo was. Do you have the right door, Mr. Novak? You seem to be in all of them. Do you mind if I lean in the doorway? No, but I'll bet you need shoulder pads by this time. Where's Charlie Giffen? Why? I want to ask him about Joe Feldman. Ask me. I'm his sister. I'll ask you about Mike Greeley. Who killed him? I don't know. Is he dead? Yeah, he couldn't stand the bleeding. He was all right when I left. What were you doing up there? Waiting for Joe. My sister and I were going to meet him up there. Relax, Mr. Novak. Relax for me. No, when people relax for you, they do it on the floor. I was out long enough for homicide to catch up. They want me for Mike Greeley, but I'm going to send him you or Joe. You're forgetting my sister Norma. Should I? For most things, yes. But she was up in that room tonight after me. I'll ask her. Ask her about the money, too. Well, you're out in front of me on that. You can see me better that way. Joe had a lot of money on him tonight. With the police out, he wouldn't carry it with him. By now, the money's gone, so's Norma. Oh. Do you know where it is? No. Well... You growl, and you bite, and you lie. You must have a full day. Sit down, relax. I want to see Giffen. He won't be back tonight. Now lean back. That's it, Patsy. You really want that money? I can split a motive. Can you split it 90-10? If you can't, you better get your breath back. I won't need it. I don't want to talk anymore. Come here and make me stop. Over close. If I get any closer, I'll be on the other side of you. Yes. Hmm. Patsy, you ought to get time and a half, darling. Hello, Anne. Thought you were coming in to curl up with a good book. Uh, Mr. Novak came by full of questions. This is Charlie Giffen, Patsy. I got some questions for you, too, Giffen. Well, ask him down the bore of this gun. Over by the desk, Novak. Did you lose that knife, Giffen? By the desk. That's it. Where's the money, Novak? I gave her the last report. Where's the money? Joe gave it to somebody. Try the Red Cross, mister. You got a tender face, Novak. Now get out of this club before I slap on a cover charge. Oh, I was getting sick of tonight. In three hours, I'd seen more service than a mix master in a cooking school. When I left the Gold Rush Club, I dropped by headquarters. Hellman had nothing to show but his badge. They had a dragnet around the city for Joe Feldman, and they'd lined up the record on the dead guy in the hotel. He'd been a friend of Joe's before his trip to Alcatraz. There wasn't much I could do. If homicide couldn't find Joe, I couldn't find him. So I looked up Norma Feldman in the phone book. She had an apartment out on the avenues, but when I called, there was no answer, so I tagged by my apartment to see if Jocko had left a message. When I opened the door, Norma was there, and she had a gun to keep her company. Come in, Mr. Novak. Yeah? I came up here to kill you. Well, if you're Norma, the rest of the family's ahead of you. What's happened to my brother? I don't know. Please, what's happened to him, Mr. Novak? Well, if he killed a cop, he's hiding out. I know he didn't mean to do that, Mr. Novak. Joe's not that way. Somebody told the police he was going to be there. That's why I came up here to see you. Oh, put down the gun, huh? You can't shoot through the tears. Mr. Novak, if you know where he is, tell me. Make him give himself up. 
Make him stop hiding like a small, frightened animal. He looked big to that copper. Please. Please find him. <laughs> yeah. Hello, this is Jocko. Yeah. You sound ruffled. Joe Feldman's sister just walked in to kill me. Don't argue. It's the best offer you've had. What'd you find out? Feldman has two sisters. I know. They both go to pieces. The Gold Rush Club is owned by Charlie Giffen. He owed Joe Feldman $2,000, and the horse people say Joe collected it tonight. Well, that fits in, Jocko. Everybody in town's after that dough. They'll have to look some more. Hmm? I'm out on Arguello Boulevard. Homicide just fished Joe Feldman out of the gutter. If Homicide finished second, he was a lucky guy. He didn't have the dough on him? No. Well, he stashed it somewhere. Then he left it with a woman. Yeah? Because he's got a woman's compact in his pocket. You uh, better hit the sister's place. How do we know he got it there? A woman's compact? If he didn't get it there, Alcatraz is getting too social. Well, the minute Jocko hung up, things began to fall into place. But I knew the last piece was going to pinch somebody hard. If the Feldman blood was going to turn bad, Father Leahy was a good man to send in, so I called him. He was out, but I left word for him to get out to Norma Feldman's apartment. Norma and I left, and on the way, we picked up Hellman. When we got out to her place and started up the stairs, we could hear people moving above. There was no point in trying to keep quiet, because Hellman was creeping up the stairs like a stallion with a broken leg. Yeah, if you got a bomb, touch it off too, huh? Well, open it, Hellman. Hello, Novak. Did you find the dough, Giffen? You mean my stolen dough? Yeah. Come on, Ann. No, you and Ann better wait. This is Hellman from Homicide. We're leaving. You better move, Novak. Not until you settle a murder rap. Can you pay it off that fast? I can do it on the way to the door. Oh, wait a minute. Point the gun at Hellman. He's official. I can tag you both, so move away. You too, Norma. Ann and I are leaving. Look, Giffen. Homicide gobbles up nightclub big shots like you. You're nothing to me, copper. Move away. You got the hammer. Use it and come on through. All right, I will, copper. Hey, yeah, hey, you need a refill, Giffen. That's right, darling. Hand him your gun. And, and you couldn't have done that. You couldn't have taken him out. All right, so they fell out. You better take him for murder, Hellman. You little bum. That leaves you all the money. I can spend it, darling. Well, you better do it fast, then. Grab him, Hellman. Yeah, yeah I got him. Oh, you can fucking put both murders. My Greeley and my brother. I'll testify and I'll ride there in a cab on your dough, Giffen. Yeah. Are you going to pose or take me, Hellman? If you're anxious. Sorry about you, Norma. You get nothing out of this, but that's better than I got. Goodbye, Ann. Lots of luck. Thank you, darling. You know what kind. I hope you're rot. Come on, Hellman. I'm ashamed of you, Ann. Leave me alone, Norma. I'm ashamed of you, Ann. What you did to Joe, I'm ashamed of you. Leave me alone, Norma. I'm sick, you know that. I didn't know how it was going to work out. Poor Joe was trying to help you when you got greedy. He was trying to help you. That's the only reason he came out. You let this happen. I told you I didn't know how it was going to end. I thought they'd get him and take him back again. There's no good in you, Anne. They couldn't find good in you anywhere. You let that happen to Joe. You stood by and watched him walk into something like that. All right, I stood by. What can we do about it now except weep, and that won't help him. But hating you will... That'll help Joe a little. I'm here at least to hate you for the short time left. Please, Norma. Giffen told you to spend it fast. Well, you better. You better spend it fast. Ask him at the hospital if that isn't so. What do you mean? Ask him out there what you've got. They told him. You ask him what you've got. Ask him what's staring you to pieces. Ask him. They'll tell you. They'll tell you you've got cancer. Norma, please. They'll tell you cancer. Ask him. They'll tell you you're full of it. Now spend your money. Spend your money and see that it lasts as long as you do. <laughs> Goodbye, girls. Hello, Mr. Novak. Did you miss much, Father? No. Feldman luck is running kind of bad tonight. It does for some people, I guess. All they get is unhappiness. They wear it the same way you'd wear a sports coat, only they never seem to get a new one. I'm sorry about tonight, Mr. Novak. I'm sorry it's not a smoother world. 
Yeah. But if it were, you'd be out of a job, Father. See you later. If you get a bad first break, you never run the table. That's what happened to Joe Feldman. Charlie Giffen owed him dough and wouldn't pay up. But Joe didn't care until Norma showed up and told him how sick Ann was, so he decided to collect from Giffen and divide the dough between the girls. Father Leahy couldn't stop him. All he could do was try and make it work out. Joe was going to get the dough and meet the girls in that hotel room, but he changed his timetable and sent Mike Greeley up to tell the girls. Giffen showed up there and figured that Mike had tumbled to a double cross, so he killed him. Anne engineered the double cross, but she didn't mean to go that far. She wanted all the dough and tipped off Giffen. He was supposed to turn the dough over to her and then have the police pick up Joe, but Joe got there early. He took the dough away from Giffen and shot the copper on the way out. Giffen followed Joe and killed him out on Arguello, but the dough was gone. He finally tumbled to Norma's place, and that's how her apartment filled up so fast. Well, Hellman asked only one question. What did I get out of all this? Nothing. Father Leahy offered me 50 bucks, but I didn't want it. Jocko was with me, and he offered to give it to charity. I guess he did, because where Jocko spent it, the drinks aren't worth money. Pat Novak for Hire was previously released by ABC, the American Broadcasting Company, for listeners in the United States, and rebroadcast for our men and women overseas. This is the United States Armed Forces Radio Service, the voice of information and education. for Hire with Father Leahy starring Jack Webb from April 2nd, 1949. Also in the cast, Raymond Burr, Tudor Owen, Paul Fries, Parley Bear, and Lorene Tuttle with George Fenneman announcing as heard over ABC. All of the classic radio shows we present on this series are direct from the master recordings. I have more than 100,000 original radio episodes under license from the owners and estates and we make them available via digital download or on CD through our Classic Radio Club. By joining the Classic Radio Club, you'll receive 10 superior-sounding Classic Radio shows sent directly to you each month, along with detailed liner notes and photos of the radio stars. You'll receive your first 10 Classic Radio episodes for only $1, and you can cancel at any time. To learn more about the Classic Radio Club, log on to ClassicRadioClub.com. 
That's ClassicRadioClub.com. I'll have another detective episode of Pat Novak for Hire, starring Jack Webb, after this break. Welcome back to the Classic Radio Theater. I'm your host, Carl Amari. This time, Novak is hired by an old flame to locate a package of emeralds, but finds himself once again in the thick of a murder investigation. Here's Georgie Lampson on Pat Novak for Hire, starring Jack Webb. Pat Novak for Hire. Sure, I'm Pat Novak for hire. That's what the sign out in front of my office says, Pat Novak for hire. Oh, sure, you can spell it 50 different ways, but down on the waterfront in San Francisco, it all means the same thing. You pay and I'll do, and the customer's always right if he's got an open wallet. Then I'll match it with an open mind. Unless he's after murder, then the price gets out of range. And down here, you're either high on your toes or flat on your back, because most of the time you get only one kind of pitch, fast and inside, and you don't cry if you're foul because nobody cares. Even then, you can't complain. During the summer, the morgue's the coolest spot in town. Oh, I rent boats and wrap up small sins in $20 bills. The money's good when you get it, but there's no retirement plan, and you can't buy vaccination for trouble. I found that out last Wednesday night. I closed up shop about 8 o'clock, and I started walking home. The city was down on its hands and knees trying to crawl through one of those San Francisco hot spells that blast by every five years. From up on the hill, the Chinatown tenements lined up down below like sweaty little kids waiting for a shower. It was heat and headaches all the way. But when I opened my front door and stepped inside, who wanted to talk about the weather? She was standing in the dark smoking a cigarette, and the silhouette her figure cut against the window was something you'd never believe. And she reached over and turned on a lamp. It was a fast, dizzy trip, but when I got around to her eyes, they were the kind that made you think of hard-working geysers. Deep and warm, and you knew you could count on some fast action when they came to a boil. The smile was familiar, and the lips were red and moist, like a souped-up rose waiting for a bee. Oh, she did lots of nice things with her mouth, and talking was one of them. Patsy, welcome home. It's been a long time. Yeah, it's good to see you, Georgie. What's on your mind? Patsy, can't you ever take your time? It's not mine, it's borrowed. Anything special in mind? Mm-hmm. Easy business. Got a drink? Mm-hmm. How easy? Just a boat ride. You can't get hurt. That's what they told the Spanish Armada. Getting soft, Patsy? No, not in the head. Now, look, if it's work, let's talk. Otherwise, let's just be cute, huh? All right, Patsy. The last time you saw me was a year ago. As far as you know, I'm not in town. Fine? You tell me. Go on. Tomorrow night, a freighter's due in here from Shanghai. The SS Calcutta. I want to be on the welcoming committee. Who says you can't? Nobody yet. But the ship's going to anchor in the stream, so I need a boat, and I need you. I'm not the social type. I don't think I'll go. Believe me, Patsy, it's an easy trip. So's falling downstairs. Come on, let's deal or drink. All right, Patsy. My stepmother's going to meet the Calcutta, too. Who's she? Mrs. Sheila Lampson. She likes parties? She likes a package she's going to get from somebody aboard the Calcutta. Uh-huh. What's in it? That's her business. I just want to make sure she gets that package ashore, all right. You in on it? She doesn't even know I'm in town. Who picks up the check? Here. Will $40 cover it? It's too much for an easy job and not enough for a hard one. Where do I find you if I need bail? Here's a phone number. You can call me there tomorrow. And Patsy, thanks. I don't forget easy. Why the rush? Because you scare me, Patsy. You really scare me. You remember the party, Patsy? Yeah, but memories are like everything else. They wear out. Then let's make some new ones, Patsy. A little later, I stood at the door and watched her move down the hall toward the stairs. The white dress she had on was plain enough, but it didn't have a mind of its own. It just did what it was told and tried to behave, but Georgie and nature wouldn't let it. There was only one catch in seeing Georgie. She always left too soon, like a small bottle of fine whiskey. 
Well, it must have been a good five minutes after she left when I heard the buzzer. I was looking for the white dress when I opened the door, but I was looking the wrong way. Something with an echo and it came down hard on the side of my head. I went down like mercury in a quick freeze. The trip wasn't nice, but it was long. Halfway there, I came up for breath and I found the deck of one of my own boats under me. The Bay Bridge lights were still around and that made it kind of cozy. When my eyes got in focus, the smooth-looking bundle laid out next to me shaped up like Georgie Lampson. She wasn't looking her best. I had just enough time to remember a pair of women's shoes standing next to my face. And then I must have moved and they punched my ticket for a return trip. The next time I opened my eyes, I was looking up at the lights on Pier 19. Oh, the shoes were still there, but this time they were black, and the feet inside squashed out wide and flat like tired beefsteak. That meant only one thing, Hellman from Homicide. You can stop playing mouse, Novak. Get up. The party's over. Yeah, Hellman. I thought they'd never go home. Your boyfriend here isn't talking. Is he bashful? Yeah, Novak. He's real shy. He's dead. Who is he? That's what you get paid for. What about the girl that was here? County Hospital. You better pray she makes it, Novak. Because you like blondes, Hellman? Because nobody beats two murder raps, Novak. Well, you talk funny. So does this hunk of lead pipe. Your prints are all over it. What does that make me, a plumber? Better than that, Novak. The pipe fits the dent in that guy's skull like it grew there. Well, maybe he's the plumber. You're smart, Novak. Now, come on, who's the guy and who was the dame? She's Georgie Lampson, the guy I don't know. You will, Novak. We'll take care of that. Oh, you try hard, don't you, Hellman? You move your lips when you read, you use your fingers when you count, but you never get the right answers. Don't tell me, Novak. I'm not my cheery best in the morning. You don't have a best, Hellman. You tried thinking once, but it gave you a headache. Now when you get in a squeeze, you have to pound your way out with your fist. I warned you, Novak. Now talk nice and save teeth. Yeah. I'll talk when that blonde tells her story. If she makes the grade, how does she figure? She met me in my apartment last night on business. Five minutes after she left, the doorbell rang. When I answered it, somebody sapped me. Now, you take it from there. Yeah, I will. Right to the DA. Go ahead, Hellman, but don't look hurt when the case blows up in your face. You giving odds? That's all I'm giving, Hellman. You figure it. I took the gal and this girl I don't even know for a ride at three in the morning. We had a party and I killed a guy. But the gal I only messed up good because I like the way she talks. You sound scared, Novak. Well, I'm not, Hellman, but you are because it doesn't add. Why did I beat my skull with that same hunk of pipe and how did I drive back here to meet you? Keep your mouth open, smart boy. They got a little green room up at San Quentin. Gets awful stuffy when they close the door. Well, after I left Hellman, I figured I'd had a bumper crop of trouble for one day. The sun was just beginning to stagger up over the Berkeley Hills when I caught a cab uptown. On the way, I stopped off for coffee and a 6 a.m. chronicle at one of those little Greek joints off Geary Street. The windows were blind with grease and the light was bad, but the reading was money from home. The story made me stop counting the lumps on my head. Professor Burton Lampson. He'd gotten himself murdered in a Shanghai hotel room a month ago, and they were sending his body back on the SS Calcutta. It was due to anchor in the bay that night, like Georgie said, but the shipping page didn't agree. The Calcutta was listed inside the gate at 7.30 the night before. How did that check out? And what about that package that had everybody worried? Well, when I got back to my apartment, I called the hospital to check on Georgie. Well, they were still giving odds, the long, thin kind. A little later, I was in the middle of a cold shower, adding up rows of zeros and getting different answers every round when the phone rang. It was Hellman, and he was selling nothing but smiles. You feeling any better, Novak? Oh, don't tell me you're worried. We just identified the dead guy. His name's Warren Haynes, local socialite. You know him? Yeah, I'm an old friend of the family's. The guy's from one of the old families in town, the important kind. His blood wasn't blue. No, but we are. We're feeling the pressure already, so I'm calling you in today for a little talk. That's a great job, Hellman. You keep right on smacking your fat lips because you're going to get more answers than questions. That's funny, Novak. I didn't think you knew the difference. When I hung up the phone, I was seeing more red than the bleachers at a bullfight. I probably would have walked right by him if he didn't open his mouth. Even then, it wasn't much more than a loud squeak. He was a skinny guy standing against the door with a half-smile twisting his mouth and a bright, wild look in his eyes. You seem disturbed, Mr. Novak. Where's your invitation, mister? This should prove sufficient, Mr. Novak. All right, so you want a gun. What happens now? Now, Mr. Novak, I use the gun unless you hand over the package. Sorry, mister, you're in the wrong laundry. Mr. Novak, I've been crossed once today. I don't intend it shall happen twice. The package... Now, look, you, I'm going to spell it again. I don't know what you're talking about. Now, take that can on your pointing and... I think you'll realize I'm about to use this gun, Mr. Novak, for the last time. All right, all right. You'll find it right over there. Now, here, right next to the... Now, come on, give me that gun before somebody gets hurt! (laughs) 
stood there for a minute, shaking his head as if he wanted to go back and wipe five minutes from his life. All of a sudden, he jerked around on his tracks and he stumbled for the door like a timid drunk when you tell him he's had enough. Then he folded up hard against the wall on his knees. But it was a little too late for prayers. I stood there for a minute trying to think of a good lawyer who owed me money, but all I could see was a courtroom and a picture of Hellman smiling as he listened to the verdict. Well, accident or not, if Hellman dropped in with a body on the floor, he'd bury me so deep in San Quentin he'd be bringing me air in paper bags. When the knot in my stomach untied, I dragged the little guy away from the door and I rolled him on his back. His eyes were still asking for the package, but the rest of them didn't care. Outside of a few bucks, his wallet was empty, not even a laundry tag. Well, I got dressed and I pulled the blinds and locked the place up. And then I went out to look for the only honest guy I know, an ex-doctor by the name of Jocko Madigan. He was a fine surgeon until something made him decide life was temporary at best. Now he's got a permanent post on a bar stool looking for answers at the bottom of whiskey bottles. It's hard on the liver that way, but you're never short on dreams. I finally found him with a bourbon halo in a musty little Italian joint over in North Beach. It was a long stretch from Easter Monday, but he was still celebrating Irish independence. He looked like he was on the wrong side because his nose was a bright orange. Patsy, my boy, you're just in time. These simple but honest Sicilians have agreed to embark with me on a crusade. And as honorary past president of the Sons of St. Patrick, the uh, Powell Street chapter, I invite you to join us. Come on, Jocko, sober up. I gotta talk to you. To fittingly observe the occasion of old Aira's joyful victory, we're first fortifying ourselves with grappa and bushmills. Then we sally forth to chase all the snakes out of Long Beach and the cockroaches out of Chinatown. How does that strike you, Patsy? And uh, why aren't you smiling? Tis a glorious day. Because I'm in a jam and I want to talk, Jocko. Now cut it. Oh, Patsy, you remind me of that devil era fellow. You're sitting on the curb and pouting just because they won't let you march in front of the band in the victory parade. You're sour, Patsy. Admit it. Jocko, will you snap out of it? I'm in big trouble. You're always in trouble, Patsy. You're a child of adversity, a son of scorn. The fates spit in your eye and you try to retaliate, but the wind's always blowing in the wrong direction. You're a lost leaf in the mortal storm, Patsy. You're a pebble shaking a tiny fist at the mountain. You'd like to fight for some strange, fantastic cause, wouldn't you, Patsy? But you can't find anybody your size. Men are too small and the gods are too big. Patsy, you're lost. Are you all through? Yeah. What kind of trouble? Oh, it's a pair of bum murder raps, Jocko. Somebody sapped me in my apartment last night, and I woke up this morning with a dead guy. That sounds interesting. Uh, what was it you were drinking? Hellman's out to pin this on me. Oh, a dubious honor. You uh, mentioned two murders. A guy came in my apartment this morning waving a gun and asking for a package that I never heard of. We started wrestling for the gun. Uh, mildly exciting. Who got it? He did, right in the chest. Patsy, you have absolutely no excuse for losing your temper. Why, you're not even Irish. Still, you're always getting hot-headed at the wrong time. It was an accident, Jocko. I didn't even know the guy. I'm sorry, but I can't cry. Sure, that's what the British general said after he hung Robert Emmett at the dock. But he didn't straighten out the Marcel in his neck. What are you doing out of jail? Well, you knock it off, Jocko. Now, look, did you ever hear of a Mrs. Sheila Lampson? Certainly, and uh, I'm very offended with her. In the past year, she set up drinks for every eligible and non-eligible in San Francisco except me. That sounds good. What else? Not much, but I often wonder what that poor old professor she married does with his evenings. He stopped worrying, Jocko. He's dead. Now, look, will you hop down to the Chronicle Morgue and check with Steve Nagel? Have him dig out all the old clips on the professor and Mrs. Lampson, will you? And while you're there, check on a guy by the name of Warren Haynes. You got that? Yes, but uh, what do I do for money? Half a buck for car fare and nothing for booze. Patsy, surely you're jesting. Jocko, will you quit clowning and get going? If you say so, Patsy, but you've broken up a beautiful party. My Sicilian friends have gone to sleep and I'm thirsty again. Let's have four or five for the road, shall we? Later, Jocko. Oh, all right, Patsy, but only for you. Uh, by the way, where can I find you? I'm going to tag by the county hospital, and then I'm going to look up Sheila Lampson. If I remember the story correctly, Patsy, you'd better reverse your schedule. Good night, lover. When I left Jocko, I tagged by Mama Lupo's on Kearney Street, and I called the hospital again. Oh, Georgie was a little better. At least the undertakers had stopped bidding. Mama Lupo clouded up for a storm when I asked to borrow her new car for a couple of hours, but... Uh, few pats and a pinch, and she was all giggles and car keys. Ten minutes later, I was fighting traffic on Potrero Avenue. 
The south wind out there brought the slaughterhouses right into your front seat. I found the hospital out on the far edge, and it was a nice-looking pile of dirty red brick. The nurse in the ward didn't believe I was Georgie's brother until I asked her if she was busy Saturday night. Then she saw the resemblance right away. I found Georgie behind a couple of screens at the end of the ward. For a dying woman, she looked pretty good. She smiled a little when she saw me, like she was saving up for a bigger try later on. Patsy, I'm glad you made it. Look, I'm going to keep it short, baby. Who was it last night? Sorry, Patsy. Big deal. You can't tell her you won't. Can't, Patsy. Later I will. And that package, same deal? Same. Well, I got a deal too, Georgie, a murder rap. They want to hang it on me. Who was it? Warren Haynes, do you know him? I remember. Good corpse. Now, look, you're slicing it awful thin for 40 bucks, Georgie. Patsy, Patsy, trust me. No choice, baby, you're driving. Don't go through any red lights. I won't, Patsy. Telephone, Mr. Novak. I said it was urgent. That's it, Georgie. I'll see you later. Yeah. Having a good time, Novak? You know any phone numbers besides mine, Hellman? Not today, bright boy. You near a streetcar or do I send a chauffeur? What's your beef? Our beef, Novak. We'd like it fine if you paid us a visit real soon. Sorry, Hellman. Book solid. Command performance, Novak. I wouldn't disappoint. What's the matter, Hellman? You want it in blood? I told you I don't know anything about last night. I never saw Haynes before. You got me wrong, Novak. This one's about a knife. We just found it in your office down on the waterfront. That's fine. Peel yourself an apple and keep busy. You better come down, Novak. We found the knife in some guy's back. <laughs> Houdini couldn't get out of that one in two hours with both hands and a can of olive oil. It was like chasing cyanide with a bucket of brandy. Well, it tastes bright, but it's only a matter of time. Well, I headed for Sheila Lampson's place, and on the way, I pulled up by a drugstore out in the Hate Street jungles and called the Chronicle Morgue. They said Jocko had just left, so I called the nearest bar and asked if they had a customer with a bright orange nose. They did. Jocko Madigan speaking. Jocko, this is Novak. What'd you find out? Ah, Patsy, just enjoying a small refresher after some very excellent reading. For instance? Sheila Howard Lampson. She started seeing the professor back in 46. There was a scandal, the, the nasty kind, and the professor's first wife, Barbara, jumped off the bridge, the uh, Bay Bridge. Yeah, go on. A month after she married the professor, Sheila was mentioned in every gossip column in town. So the professor took off on a scientific trip to China. A month ago, he was murdered in a Shanghai hotel and a hat full of emeralds was stolen. The authorities figured that the murder was premature. What do you mean? Well, the professor had had three major operations, and at the time of the murder, he had less than a week to go. What about Haynes? Haynes is one of those black sheep that wealthy families have cut off without a penny. He's one of Sheila Lampson's escorts, and he's now on his way back from the Orient on the SS Calcutta. Anything else? Jocko, I could kiss you. Patsy, you stick to your line, and I'll stick to mine. Well, the puzzle was still a sack full of holes and question marks, but at least Jocko's leads had a little juice in them. I found the Lampson house in the best part of the Seacliff district. It was one of those big, nervous joints hanging by its shutters to the side of a steep drop that slid down sharp into the Pacific. All green trim and stucco the color of mortgages. The front doorbell was wearing out in my hand when the maid showed up, and then she was tongue-tied. She didn't know a thing except good money when it was offered. And then she told me I'd find Mrs. Lampson in the second-floor sitting room. She went away. I found the sitting room all right, but Mrs. Lampson wasn't there. So I followed on through till I came to a bedroom with a bright red ceiling and a lived-in feeling. Reminded you of something Henry VIII might order for a bridal suite. She was sitting next to the couch holding a martini and making noises like a leopard on a honeymoon. Hello. You call me baby. Yeah. You always wear handkerchiefs to parties? Mm-hmm. Saves time. Dressing. You're nice. Have a drink? I'll fix them. Oh, you are nice. What's your name? Novak, what's yours? <laughs> Duty. Is that a name or a game? <laughs> You're just like Mike. He's my new boyfriend. This is night off? Oh, no. He just went downstairs for a minute. <clears throat> hey, you fix a nice drink, Mr. Novak. <sighs> Warm. Yeah, you got a fever or something? No. Must be the weather, Mr. Novak. You feel it? You're a big spender, aren't you? What do I do when Mike walks in? Smile? Oh, Mike's broad-minded. How about Sheila? You'll fix a good drink, Mr. Novak. 
You ask a lot of questions, too. Yeah, well, that's because I like answers. Now, what about Sheila? Hey, if you're going to get rough, I'll call Mike. All right, all right. I'm Sheila's sister, and it's much better when you're nice to me. All right, then let's start being nice, huh? <sighs> Mr. Novak, what was that for? I'm a big spender, too. Here, have another drink. I think maybe I'll have another you, Mr. Novak. Is that Mike coming upstairs? Could be, baby. Now, come on, where's Sheila? Oh, Sheila, Sheila, who cares? She's downtown anyway. She won't know. She... Hey, where are you going? Sorry, baby, I got a date. I'm not busy. Well, I do. Don't let him leave, Mike. If he does, he's going to walk through me. I'm sorry, baby, he's not my type. Mike was a tall, wide package, so I gave him a bargain offer. He didn't fold after two, but he had a kind of hurt look in his eye when I hit him the third time, like I didn't know he could take a hint. When he wound up and hit the floor, every window in the house rattled, and I figured the Berkeley seismograph got a cheap thrill. I made it as far as the front door when I heard a car pull up in the driveway. When I got to the window, a dame and a guy were getting out of a new Nash and heading for the door. The guy was a middle-class gunsel, but if the gal was Sheila Lampson, she made nice opposition. Well, I couldn't wait around to see. I finally managed to make my apartment without having one of Hellman's men pick me up, and when I got in, Jocko was just pouring himself another glass of green dreams and posing in the mirror like a man of distinction. The stiff was still there on the floor next to a glass of ice water. Patsy, I don't approve of your choice of party guests. The guy's dead, Jocko. Oh, well, in that case, I'll overlook it. This is the friend you were telling me about? When are you due at the gas chamber, Patsy? Any phone calls? Now that you mention it, yes. Hellman? Regularly on the quarter hour. Not very coherent, but I got the idea he's looking for you. Also a call from the hospital. They wanted to know the whereabouts of a Miss Georgie Lamson. What do you mean? Seems she disappeared a few hours ago from one of their wards. Patsy, you look worried. Uh, Perhaps a sampling of this delicate dollar ambrosia would help. Uh, Try it. No, thanks. Suit yourself, Patsy. Myself, I'm an old subscriber to the Socrates' plan of self-destruction. If you want it done right, do it yourself. Uh, By the way, uh, have you noticed our friend's hands lately? Huh? It looks like he's entertaining a scrap of paper in his right hand. Yeah, I see it. Oh, let me see here. Hmm. Seems kind of stingy with it, doesn't he? Yeah. There, I got it. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, an old envelope, not even a coded letter to puzzle over. I'll settle for the address, Jocko. Take a look. Uh, Captain Edward Small, SS Calcutta, Paramount Line, Shanghai. Well, that's nice. Uh, Shall we have another drink? Later, Jocko. Right now, we haven't got the time. If that's who I think it is, Patsy, you're going to have lots of time. I'll just whip up a short one. Novak talking. Listen, smart boy, and listen hard. This is for the last time. You check in here in ten minutes, or I'll send out an all-points. Dead or alive, Novak. All right, Hellman. There's a dead guy here in my apartment right now. His name's Captain Edward Small, off the Calcutta. I don't need any more bodies, Novak. I can hang you twice with what I got. All right, Copper. But if you want your picture in the paper tomorrow, you can meet me out in Seacliff in 15 minutes. 48 Camino Drive. When I hung up the phone, most of the puzzle straightened out like wet wash in a dry wind. Now there's one thing you can count on. When you bet on miracles, you buy a ticket straight through. I finally pulled up at the Lampson place, and I started looking around for Hellman. The joint looked about as crowded as a Kremlin breakfast for Senator Taft. I was taking a fast check, trying to figure how far they could have gone when Hellman fought his way through the box hedge by the driveway. We circled down behind the garage and around in back of the house. We just made it in time for the curtain scene. Sheila Lampson was backing down slow toward the seawall, waving her arms in the air and begging every inch of the way. And Georgie stumbled after her like the avenging angel, and she had a gun. She had a coat tossed over her hospital gown, and the look on her eyes told the whole story. Tears and hate and lots of both. Novak! Novak, you've got to stop her! She's crazy! She's crazy! She wanted to kill me! What's so crazy about that? You're sweet, Patsy, but you weren't invited. Don't get too close to the animals. It's your gun, Georgie. Don't let it hang you. This is Hellman from Homicide. No good, Patsy. This one's for me. Isn't it, Sheila? Georgie! Isn't it for me? Please, Georgie, don't! No, stop her. Stop her before it's too late. All right, girls, let's break it up. Be good, copper. 
You too, Patsy. It's your neck. It won't look good stretched. Please, Georgie. Don't eat dirt, Sheila. Not yet. First, I want to tell you how clever you are. How sweet you looked at my mother's funeral. How you ruined my father. How discreet with other men, Sheila. Oh, it was magnificent. Georgie. Georgie, please. I didn't know, Georgie. I didn't know it. I swear I'll make it up to you. Please. One other please. thing, Sheila. Listen to me, Sheila. Those emeralds you've got. The ones you sent Haynes to Shanghai for. The ones he killed my father for. They were glass, Sheila. Ten-cent green glass. You hear, Sheila? Glass. Please. Georgie, please. Georgie, watch her. Sheila's got a gun. Patsy. Patsy. Take it easy, baby. You got a long trip. She's dead, isn't she, Patsy? She's dead. She didn't die, baby. With that much lead, she sank. It burns, Patsy. It burns. It'll cool. The fog's starting to come in. Remember the party, Patsy? Yeah, I remember. Then say it, Patsy. Please say it now. Say it. <laughs> yeah, Georgie, I'd say it, but you're not listening. We found a letter in Georgie's coat pocket that told most of the story, and then Hellman grabbed Mike and Sheila's sister and sweated the rest out of them. Well, it wasn't a pretty story, but it moved. When Sheila spent the professor broke and he checked out over in China, Georgie decided to blow the whistle on her. She made up that phony yarn about the emeralds, and then she let Haynes murder her father and walk off with him. They were glass. To make it look good, Haynes played pallbearer and took the boat back with the body but not before Georgie tipped the captain and the first mate about that sack of emeralds Haynes was supposed to have. So they went to work. They robbed Haynes and planted a fake for a fake. It was a real cat and mouse game. Georgie only made one mistake, but sometimes that's all it takes. She flew back here a few days before the Calcutta got in so that she could be around for the payoff. One of Sheila's pals must have spotted her and trailed her to my place. And then the sapping started. That was the same night the Calcutta got in and people started checking packages and pulling triggers. When Sheila found her package was a fake, she figured Haynes was being cute, so he got it first. And then she went out after that original fake. She tried to double up and hang Haynes' body on me and get rid of Georgie at the same time. But Georgie didn't die easy. I don't know how the captain got onto me, probably through Sheila. But her gunsel friends took care of the first mate with a knife when he got anxious. Well, when the dust lifted and they counted cold noses, it was a real devil's game. Wherever he was, Georgie's old man must have been holding his sides and rolling in the aisles. Yeah, a real plum. And Sheila found out when you get close enough to the seed, the taste gets bitter. Well, Hellman asked only one question. How come a smart girl like Georgie bought something as stupid as revenge? I don't know. She was a lot better at a lot of other things. Novak for Hire was previously released by ABC, the American Broadcasting Company, for listeners in the United States, and rebroadcast for our men and women overseas. This is the United States Armed Forces Radio Service, the voice of information and education.
And that's Pat Novak for Hire, with Georgie Lamson starring Jack Webb from June 12, 1949. Also in the cast, Raymond Burr, Lillian Biaf, and Tudor Owen, with George Fenneman announcing. And yes, that's the same George Fenneman, who is Groucho Marx's sidekick and announcer on You Bet Your Life. Stick around, I'll give you our lineup for episode 64 of the Classic Radio Theater after this break. Next time on episode 64 of the Classic Radio Theater, brought to you by the Bradford Exchange, we'll hear two Western episodes of Wild Bill Hickok, starring Guy Madison and Andy Devine, so don't miss it. To reach me and to learn more about the Classic Radio Club, visit ClassicRadioClub.com. Be sure to tune in to our next show. Thanks for listening. 